welcome to The Risk Insight, a Crisis 24 podcast taking a closer look at the risk and security issues facing organizations around the world today. And now, here's your host, Bo French. Hi, everyone. This is Mo French. Welcome to today's episode of The Risk Insight. I'm very excited today to welcome our guest, Ganche Alave. Welcome, Ganche. Thanks, Mo. It's great to be here. Ganche is our senior managing consultant in our cyber practice at Crisis 24. And there's been so much out in the marketplace around cyber, uh, cyber issues, challenges that both organizations and individuals have been facing. So we thought it would be appropriate to share a little bit of Ganchai's expertise with all of you and cover some topics both for the organization and the individual. So very simply, for those of us that are not that familiar with cybersecurity, Ganchai, can you tell us what is cybersecurity? What is that area of focus for you and your practice? Thanks, Mo. I mean, it's a great question and there's so many definitions and, and terms that are used interchangeably. Um, for the purpose of this discussion, you know, cybersecurity is really about the protection of information assets. So it's protecting the confidentiality, the integrity, and the availability of those assets that happen to be uh, cyber enabled using various systems and networks. But it's about the protection really of, of information assets. And that applies right for an organization or just you and I at home with our families? Both, both. If you think about data that's most important to you as an individual, uh, the protection of that falls under cybersecurity. And likewise, for a corporation that handles all sorts of data, um, it's the same security controls, just at an enterprise level. Got it. So, you know, a, a theme that we've been talking through on a number of podcasts now is really what we're seeing today given that we're mid-pandemic, and I know cyber has become quite the topic of conversation, and I know your practice has been very busy in this arena. So maybe share a little bit on some of the trends that you're seeing that other folks might be seeing out there as well, or perhaps haven't seen yet, but might be uh, upcoming soon. Yeah, absolutely. I think that the last 12, 18 months has really been fueled obviously by by the changes in the working environment so this kind of hybrid model of working where you've got individuals working remotely you've got some people on site um, at the beginning of the pandemic at least the the focus was very much on organizations rushing to push out technologies to allow for this remote working model um, and with that, there was a number of issues in terms of, you know, misconfiguration of systems or lack of training or resources, both for the end users who were expected to use that technology, but also for those who were responsible for monitoring and protecting those, those solutions as well. So I think at the beginning of the pandemic, you know, cyber criminals really were taking advantage of this kind of piecemeal approach to getting systems online. You know, as organizations were stumbling through trying to figure out which solutions would enable their business to work remotely and security really being an afterthought, that really was a breeding ground for, for cyber criminals to take advantage. 
What we're seeing now, obviously, some time into the pandemic, a lot of organizations uh, increased their security posture. They rolled out you know, numerous updates to try and secure their systems after a series of, of, of terrible uh, deployments of solutions. But what we continue to see is this rise in targeted attacks against cloud solutions and technologies that allow for this kind of hybrid working. So just to put that into context for, you know, cyber solutions, cloud solutions that organizations are relying on, we saw a 300% rise in attacks against those. And it was across industries, across sectors. It didn't matter um, specifically which sector or industry you, you worked to, but it was the infrastructure and the solutions that we relied on that were being targeted. Um, another example, you know, a lot of organizations working remotely now rely on or increasingly rely on things like VPNs to protect their company data, you know, to allow you to tunnel through. It's supposed to be a secure communication, secure connection to the to the company network. But unfortunately, again, going back to this idea of a lack of resources and resilience in organizations, we saw and I've actually responded on several cases in the last 12 months or so, uh, where it was the VPN itself that was exploited, a number of vulnerabilities that were known that could have been patched. But of course, there were a lack of resources in the organization to make sure everything was, was checked off. And so a lot of these security issues were happening, things were falling through the, the cracks. And unfortunately, this remote working model where you're over relying on some of these technology solutions were being directly targeted. So I think, um, you know, that the hybrid model was definitely one that continues to be a bit of an issue in terms of cybersecurity. What I'm thinking about is in these hybrid roles, a lot of organizations didn't have the ability to plan and it happened very, very quickly. So I think the opportunity now for organizations understanding the challenges if it is to go and look back and see what you do have and kind of plug those gaps so they don't have the challenges related to their cloud solutions or their mobile solutions because organizations that were traditionally in an office had all the staff in an office are now looking to to move a hybrid role longer term so I think the opportunity now, if organizations haven't done it yet, is to look back and see what has been put in place and utilize organizations to help help guide them on how they can plug those holes and ensure that they're protected going forward. Absolutely. I think that immediate rush at the start of the pandemic is over. We now know that, you know, in all honesty, this is probably going to be the new normal hybrid working will continue for for quite some time and i think it's time to take stock of you know solutions that you have put in place if it can be improved if it can be enhanced there's now more time or time at least can be carved out to allow for adequate testing you know rather than just deploying solutions onto the enterprise you can take a moment pilot it test it and then roll it out because at the beginning of the pandemic we saw end users expected to use technology with limited or no training whatsoever. We, we're no longer in that position. I think we really need to slow down the pace, look at the solutions we're using and apply the security, um, not as an afterthought, but in parallel to, to deploying these solutions.
Excellent guidance. So what else are you seeing from a trend um, mid-pandemic in the situation we're in today? Yeah, the other thing that we're really seeing, and it's it's been gaining momentum for several years now, is the the unmasking of state-sponsored attacks. So, you know, a few years ago, when we were talking about state-sponsored attacks, it was primarily nation versus nation. But unfortunately, what we're seeing is a lot of private industry is being either directly targeted because they hold government contracts, or um, unfortunately, part of collateral are being, uh, you know, hit as part of these wider campaigns. The, the main issue with this is that every time a state uses um, a new cyber weapon, and I think we can call it a weapon, every time this ammunition is out there, it's, it's deployed. Cybersecurity professionals take the time to understand how the campaign was put together, what vulnerabilities were exploited, um, what could have what we could have done better. That's what we're really trying to unpick. And at the same time as we're doing this, that same information is also making its way into the hands of cyber criminals. They're also understanding how these state-sponsored campaigns are coming together, what tools and resources they have available. And every time it's used, it's no longer just an arsenal that's kept on the state side. It then makes its way onto the dark web um, and into the hands of organized crime groups and cyber criminals who can now start to deploy much more sophisticated cyber campaigns than they could previously, because now they've got the same resources that were available to a state. And what that has meant for our clients uh, is that we've seen much more complex, sophisticated cyber attacks that are showing us that you know cyber criminals have the patience and the resilience to sit back and observe um, in the same way that a state-sponsored attack has all the resources to be patient it's now the same for cyber criminals they're really taking their time to understand how your systems are run what's critical to your business what is ops normal and what is absolutely going to cause trouble if that data was either to be exfiltrated or encrypted and made inaccessible to you. And that takes us nicely into kind of this whole idea on the ransomware side. We've all heard uh, the headlines. We've seen the headlines. We've heard the top line conversations related to ransomware attacks um, and the level of sophistication and the timing. Maybe you can share a little bit about what you're seeing out there related to our clients over the last 12 to 18 months? Exactly that. I think it's it's the fact that ransomware is being deployed now, not just as a way to encrypt data, but it's being coupled with various other techniques that they're learning from state-sponsored attacks and campaigns, and also with other methods as well. So the one that is, is most common now is that it's not just ransomware in terms of encrypting your data, because they're able to sit on the system for as long as they do, it means that they're able to target you and the demands then match that as well. So what we are seeing now is ransom demands that are quite firmly in the high six figures, seven figure sums, even eight figure sums are being reported. It's now become fairly common, whereas you know a few years ago, we weren't seeing ransom demands nearly this high. Um, part of that is, of course, the complexity of the, the campaigns that we're seeing, the tools that they're using, the time that they're spending. 
Um, but also it's just the attack surface has widened so much as well. Going back to the conversation about, you know, remote working and all this new technology that's been deployed, there's just so much more opportunity for cyber criminals to take advantage. Um, as we're still learning to, to work in this hybrid model, they are continuing to take advantage of that. So those two, I think, has, has really seen ransom demands significantly rise. And um, unfortunately, it's it's hurt a lot of our clients. It's something that it's it shouldn't be something that we consider post-incident, you know, in the middle of a crisis, trying to figure all of this out. Um, there really should be an emphasis on anticipating the threat. And a big part of that is understanding how the cyber threat landscape is evolving, understanding um, you know, how that's going to have an impact on your industry, on your sector, based on the systems and tools that you use day to day that are essential for your business. That all needs to be mapped out in advance. So we're not having to figure this out in the middle of a crisis. It's the last thing you want to be doing. Right, and, and if you think about the technology landscape, technology changes so quickly. And if we're just looking at day-to-day -day systems and what we're doing as an organization day-to-day, -day, um, that's changing so fast. So it's looking at this planning, it, it has to evolve, right? It's a process, it's not a one-time thing. You need to stay up on it. So if you kind of look at five years ago, six years ago, what are you seeing today, right? Technology evolves, all of it evolves, but when you think cyber specifically, what are you seeing differently in organizations, the way they're addressing it, the way they're approaching their cyber health? Um, what do you see as the big shift, even if we look kind of a wider lens than just mid-pandemic, even five, six years ago? Yeah, great question, Mo, and I think, one of the biggest things I'm seeing is that the ownership of cyber risk um, and, and the acknowledgement of cyber risk at the board level is now there. Five, six years ago, it was a struggle to get organizations to see cybersecurity as something outside of just an IT problem. Um, the fact that the board, the C-suite level, are engaging with um, with cyber risks, are trying to calculate and understand cyber risk, is is a great sign. It means we're heading in the right direction. It's being given the the priority and the attention that it deserves. Um, you know, I I'm very rarely meeting clients where cyber risk isn't one of their top five or top three on their risk register. It's almost always now captured. And that is a huge shift, a huge shift from what we were seeing a few years ago where it was honestly just seen as an IT problem. And of course, IT had no representation at the C-suite level. It had no representation at the board. And the accountability and ownership needed to put in the right controls wasn't there at the highest level, which meant really IT were only being reached out to when something went horribly wrong and none of that risk mitigation was being done in advance. Um, so thankfully, we're in a position now where more organizations are seeing this, are trying to address this. Um, what's missing, though, I would say is a more proactive approach to risk mitigation. While it's acknowledged on, on the risk register, the approach to actually bringing that risk down is still somewhat limited. A lot more can be done on the proactive front to try and mitigate some of these risks. 
you know, we, we talked in a previous podcast, um, kind of the changing role of the chief security officer. And one of the points that we talked about was really that involvement specifically in that CSO role has changed where what they're getting involved in and cross-functionally has adjusted. And one of the areas is cyber. And I think when you think about organizations and what they're trying to change is that the first step is this cross-functional ownership. But at the end of the day, there needs to be accountability within a single role to say, I'm going to own and ensure that we are up to snuff and that we have the correct mitigation measures in place to ensure we don't hit a crisis situation. Um, but I think it's really this, this cross-functional is the start of it. I think getting that board visibility is a good part and is a good start for organizations. But I think, um, I think we all have a ways to go, especially with the change that happens. Again, it's, it's a process, right? It's not something you do once and don't address again. It's ever changing. And I think there needs to be that view across multiple roles in an organization to say, we need to ensure that we stay ahead of this and make sure that we're putting the right mitigation measures in place. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's that everything is changing. You know, on the one hand, it's the technology. On the other hand, it's the threat landscape too. Um, so everything at the same time is changing and you're finding yourself in a position where it's almost difficult to keep up. Um, but I think that there's so many resources out there um, that, that organizations should be tapping into to stay on top of this anticipate part of organizational resilience. If you're not able to anticipate how the threat is evolving, you're not going to be able to adequately prepare for it either. And I think that's absolutely crucial, on, especially in cybersecurity, where everything is changing so quickly. Excellent. That's a very good point. So let's let's shift for a minute because um, some folks that are listening might not um, have a role uh, on the organizational side, but we all know in our personal lives uh, that we have our own personal digital health. And maybe you can share a little bit on your guidance and advice from a uh, personal perspective for those and their own cyber uh, and digital health. Yeah, no, absolutely. Another great question. I think, um, you know, individuals should be aware of the various techniques that cyber criminals are using. Um, you know, the term social engineering is one that's often used where cyber criminals are trying to better understand their victims and their targets. And, uh, you know, the most common way they do this is by going online looking at various social media profiles you might have or those close to you might have and trying to piece together this information to understand who you are, where you are, what you're all about and how they can take advantage of you. So I think our digital footprint plays a huge role in terms of our cybersecurity. Um, things like making sure that your credentials are, are well protected that you're using multi-factor authentication where possible, that you're looking at password managers to, to protect those accounts that are most crucial to you. Um, you know, the, the most common thing I see is passwords being used across various applications. And if it just takes one of those applications to have a vulnerability that's exploited for that password to, to make its way onto the deep and dark web, and suddenly all of your accounts 
can be breached into using that same password. So just being very mindful of how you're interacting with various devices. The other one, of course, is the, the Internet of Things. A lot of individuals are increasingly getting, you know, IoT devices in their houses, smart devices. Everything can be, you know, controlled remotely, which is great. But if it's connected to your home network, the same network where you're storing personal data, and of course, in today's environment, probably also company data that you're accessing on that same network, then we've got to be very mindful of how you're segregating or uh, separating those networks where possible. Um, the digital footprint piece is also, I think, not just limited to, to information security and your cybersecurity. Um, we've seen where credentials are used to then pose uh, an identity theft scenario where they're able to take out loans in your name because your social security number, because your credit card numbers, your passport numbers are all on the deep and dark web because it was part of a bigger breach that went undetected. And then the other one, uh, which is, I think, a slightly more scary one, is where your digital footprint is actually used to pose a much more direct physical security threat. And I think a lot of a lot of individuals are not necessarily aware of just the sheer amount of information that can be gleaned online about them and their families. Um, we do a lot of exercises, digital footprinting exercises for, for a number of executives. And what we're really trying to do is map out their online profile. What is discoverable about them and their loved ones online? Um, and you're very quickly able to establish a pattern of life. You know, I can I can figure out where the kids go to school, where the spouse goes for her morning run, where um, the the vacation homes are, which homes are, and residential properties are currently vacant. All of this information on its own, I think, probably doesn't mean a lot. But when you start to piece this together, you can really establish a pattern of life, which unfortunately you know, in the wrong hands can pose a much more sinister and direct physical security threat to individuals and their families. Absolutely. And and I have to say, as a in my personal life, as I've learned over the years, this this continued threat, having four kids that were really raised in a digital world is helping your families, your children, your loved ones be aware of what they're putting out there and what their digital footprint looks like. Because I don't think that personally, we always think about the ramifications of what we're putting out there for others to see. And, and it could be used against us in a lot of different ways. And it goes all the way down to, you know, posting, posting information about, about newborns, right? Um, we're all a target from a personal perspective. So I think it's to everyone's benefit personally, not only for your own digital footprint, but that of your family is ensure that they're educated and they understand how it can be used against us. Um, I think it's just as important as what we're trying to do in our professional lives. Absolutely. I think it, there's also this sort of generational gap as well in terms of our literacy around online privacy especially with children where they tend to overshare or perhaps the older generation where they're not sure of the various security settings on the various applications that they're using. So the education piece is so important. You know, every time you post a photo, are you sure that the metadata on that isn't also being shared? You know, what device you were using, where the photo was taken. 
um, all this information, again, can pose a, a, a much more direct threat. And I think the education piece, making sure that you're protecting yourself and your loved ones by locking down your digital footprint where possible, because it really is like a tattoo. Once this information is out there, it's almost impossible to take it down. Um, even if you do manage to take it down from one site, it's likely to pop up on another site. And so it's really understanding about what's already out there and what you can do knowing what's out there. Excellent. It's great advice. So, so just to kind of wrap things up with a nice bow for everyone listening today, maybe Ganche, give us a couple of key takeaways for us um, as we walk away from a cyber perspective. Uh, what do you think are the three most important points that that we can share with the listeners today? I think if I'd, I'd had to choose three, I'd say the first one is probably information sharing. Um, organizations should be looking at getting as much information to be able to adequately anticipate and prepare for cyber risks. Um, you know, I, I see a lot of clients that are reluctant to share information. But I think there is a lot of resources out there available, whether that be public-private partnerships, whether it's specific to your industry, or whether it's just signing up to the right cyber threat intelligence community, getting that link in so that it's feeding into your um, ability to, to be able to protect your systems. The second one is probably around education. Um, you know, in most organizations, you'll see now that training and awareness sessions are compulsory, and this might be, you know, a, a 20 minute video that everybody completes. Um, but really training and, and the education piece needs to be a lot more targeted. You know, who are those employees that you need to be targeting? How are they interacting with your, with your systems day to day? Um, so that it's realistic to them, that it's familiar to them, so that they're able to identify if something does go wrong. And the only way the education piece really works is where there is a security culture in place. And that's not something that can be driven by IT alone. Uh, it really requires C-suite level engagement. It has to come from the top. And cybersecurity should be seen as something that enables business rather than just red tape that makes it difficult to operate. And the only way to get that really embedded in the organization is, is for the C-suite to engage with it in that way and, and foster a, a culture of security. And then finally, uh, the last one is, is around stress testing. A lot of organizations have incident response plans and cyber playbooks for various types of cyber incidents that might occur or disaster recovery plans. But how many of these are, are tested and are they tested frequently? Um, making sure that everybody that's named on that plan understands their role and their responsibility in the event of an incident making sure that they're empowered to make those decisions, that they've had the right training um, and that it actually works. You know, I, I was on a case recently where the disaster recovery plan was hosted on the server that was encrypted and there was no hard copy of the disaster recovery plan. The one thing that was supposed to protect them and get everything back up and running was also encrypted. So, you know, thinking through the process, testing it and, and retesting it again and again is is absolutely crucial to, to make sure that you're prepared to respond in the event of a cyber incident. 
Excellent. That's great advice. And and I think I'll also just stress to listeners on the personal side, um, education is certainly key on the personal side. Uh, make sure you're diligent and you understand your digital footprint and you're educating your loved ones as well. Uh, I think it's all great information, whether you're approaching um, kind of that digital health, whether it be from a professional or a personal perspective. So I can't thank you enough, Ganche, uh, for joining us today. And a special thanks to our listeners for tuning in. Uh, don't forget to subscribe to the Risk Insight podcast, and you'll be notified of all new episodes. Until next time, I'm Mo French. Be well and make a difference every day. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Risk Insight. Please subscribe to the show wherever you consume podcasts. And for more information on today's topic, please visit us on the web at crisis24.com. Dot com.